The nail in the coffin! Welcome to The Nail. I am Tom Valentino, joined as always by Travis Yuley. We're recording on Wednesday night. Trav, how you doing? Great, Tino. How are you? Uh, I am doing well. Looking forward to uh, a good week here uh, on the pod. Uh, it's going to be a busy week for us. If uh, Yeah, no, double duty. Double duty, that's right. So, everybody listening, uh, if you've been with us uh, since we launched in October, you know, we've spent a ton of time covering the Cavs. We've done some Browns, lots of Ohio State football. Lately, we've even gotten into some college basketball. One team we have not spent much time on is our local Major League Baseball club, the Indians. And uh, as Travis said, um, we're going to pull double duty this week to make up for lost time. Tribe season begins on Monday, and tonight we figured uh, it would be a good time to start talking baseball. So this episode here is the first of a special two-parter that we're going to be doing this week. Tonight in part one, we have John Arthur Hutchinson, who writes for the Burning River Baseball blog, bring us up to speed on uh, the Tribe roster and give us some insights on what we can expect on the field this year from the Tribe. And then later this week, uh, Travis and I are going to be back with part two to get into some other Tribe stuff um, and uh, that one should probably be up if not late Thursday, then early Friday. Plenty to discuss on the field, though. So let's bring in our former News Herald colleague. Um, he writes for Burning River Baseball, John Hutchison. Hutch, I know you're a regular listener of the pod. So uh, welcome aboard for your first time as a guest. We're uh, glad to have you. Hey, thank you very much. I really appreciate you having me on. And it's an honor to be on your show. Oh, you're uh, an honor. Yeah, I'll say wow. you're overselling it, my man. But uh, <laughs> hey, if uh, if if you want to uh, put that out there, then we'll just go with it. Uh, works for us. <laughs> this, this ends up on your resume. I, it wouldn't be the worst thing ever. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Whatever I can do to help the cause. All right. So um, l- let's get into it here. Uh, last season, Indians finished uh, 81 and 80. Uh, third straight winning season under Terry Francona, but uh, it was also the second straight year with no postseason. Um, definitely had um, some holes and some issues that needed to be addressed uh, in the lineup and on the roster. And uh, had a, some minor moves, uh, quite a few minor moves. Um, Hutch, just looking at the way the team wrapped up 2015 uh, a couple weeks before we got this podcast up and running, um, what did you see as the biggest needs for the Indians heading into 2016? Well, their pitching is, is very solid, especially the starter. So the offense is really what you needed to upgrade in the offseason, and particularly the outfield depth. And, um, you know, there were a lot of questions in the offseason with Michael Brantley. Would he be ready? to you know play opening day would he have to miss a month maybe two of the season so they really needed to get uh some players basically who are major league caliber and maybe have a little pop or speed and um you know and, and so what they did i mean they you know one of the first things was they signed rajay davis uh who was a free agent 
he can play center. He can play left. Uh, you know, he's got some speed. He's an older guy, so he's a veteran. Hopefully, he's got enough in the tank to make it through, the, you know, a full season with the Indians. He's 35 going on 36, I believe. So, you know, a speedy guy like him, you hope he's got a season in him. And you hope he can still produce at the level that he has in the past. You know, he's, he's got speed. Uh, he's got a little power, but, um, you know, he, he's, he's got, I think he'll be a solid, you know, major league player and he'll probably start the season off in left field with Brantley on the DL. And, and then surprisingly, like towards the end of the spring training, they signed Marlon Bird, uh, I don't know if you want to say off the scrap heap, but nobody had signed the guy uh, all the way through most of spring training. And here's a guy who hit 48 home runs in the past two seasons, and he's played virtually every day. So he was just available, and they signed him to a minor league contract. And, you know, he's he's he had a good spring with the Indians. He's only been around for a couple of weeks, but he hit the ground running, was working out in the offseason. So, you know, if he can if he could give the Indians 15 to 20 home runs, you know, and, and maybe in a platoon or full-time role, you know, that, that's a pretty good signing. I mean, he's only going to cost him like a million dollars minimum contract. So Was he just uh was he looking for a bigger deal somewhere? It just kept waiting and it just never came. I I think that's really what what the situation was and, you know, it finally was one of those where hey, I got to get somewhere and you know, so the Indians were obviously in need. And, you know, I, it kind of came around the time when Chisholm Hall, he had, he'd been having some, uh, you know, forearm or wrist problems to start, you know, spring training. And he was, it was really kind of slumping there, had like one hit, um, in like 21 at bats or something like that. And so you kind of got the feeling like when they signed Bird that it might have been a sign that Chisholm Hall might not be ready to to open the season and or or at least they were concerned so they got him and and you know so those two free agents are going to help the outfield and then you got a guy like Tyler Knight Naquin who just kind of came out of nowhere and you know he's a center fielder he was a first round draft pick of the Indians in 2012 most people thought he was going to start the season in AAA because he's only had um, I think like 80 games in triple a you know he's had a lot of injuries uh i think last year he had a concussion because when he ran into a wall but just some kind of freaky stuff um nothing that you would consider chronic but he just you know he tore the cover off the ball here in spring training and it's probably the indians best player of the spring you know showed some pop in his bat some enthusiasm on the field he's got a great arm in center field um, you know, he's, he's got some speed. He's not a really speedy guy, but he's got some speed, you know, above average outfielder. And he just took the bull by the horns and it looks like he's going to be the opening day center fielder. So the outfield is much different than last year. I mean, you're going to probably open the season with Rajay Davis, Tyler Naquin and Marlon Bird as your starting outfield, which is quite different, but you know, it's, it's, it's not, as bad as it could be, I applaud the Indians for signing Bird because if they wouldn't have signed him, I mean, boy, you were really looking at a hole there in the outfield. And um, so, so just kind of moving on a couple other things. They also needed some certainty with their third base position because, you know, 
Giovanni Urshela is a great glove guy, but he's really struggled in the you know in the second half of the season with his bat. So they signed uh, veteran Juan Uribe to a one-year deal, and, and I think that'll help bridge the gap until Urshela is ready to move up from AAA and get some time to kind of really you know hone in his skills there in AAA and get some at-bats there. So I, I think that was a good move to help the third base position. And then the other thing I thought they needed too was they needed a better defensive first baseman instead of Carlos Santana and, and a guy preferably with some power who could be their cleanup hitter. And, you know, they signed Mike Napoli, uh, who had a good second half of the season or last month and a half with Texas. Here's a guy who came off a sleep apnea surgery at the beginning of last year and he, you know, they had to fracture his jaw and he, so he had a really bad start to the year but then with Boston and then got traded to Texas and you know finished the season with them on a pretty good note and now here he is in Cleveland he could be your cleanup hitter yeah go back a little bit I guess to where you just were talking about Tyler Naquin I think you sort of hinted at it and I think this was sort of the general consensus was he was more likely to start the season in AAA and maybe get that midseason call up at least to save that uh, that year on his contract. Do you think they? Do you think he's starting on the on the the main roster because of necessity, or do you think it's mostly because of how well he's playing? Because with Brantley and um, uh, Brantley and Chisenhall both out, and of course uh, Abel Monte being suspended for half the season. Like you, like you said, there's there's a lot of holes in the outfield. Do you yeah. think it's more because he because they needed bodies for the outfield, or uh, was that sort of just the uh, straw that broke the camel's back? In addition to how well he's been playing in uh, in spring, you know, I think I, th- I I'd like to say it was because he earned the job, and I and I think he did. But you know what? If if uh, Almonte hadn't been suspended and Brantley was healthy, and Chisinau was healthy, you know, it might have been tough for him to really, no matter how well he did, to really be that, to be the guy that would break camp on the 25-man roster. You'd like to think they would say, well, man, this guy just, he just killed it in spring. Let's let's give him a job. Um, but, you know, I, I kind of am leaning, I, I, I'm kind of leaning towards he needed to play center field because they really didn't have anybody else. And, you know, I, I'm not sure if really his service time is an issue. He's, I mean, he's 25. So, you know, if, if the service time thing would have been an, an angle, he would have been, he's still under Indians control until he's 31. So I'm not sure like they needed to slow the clock just to keep him, you know, down in trip way to start the season. But, I mean, it's probably, you know, when I'm thinking about it a little bit more, it's probably a combination. He just, he earned the job, but he, he also, they needed him to earn the job. Right. I think kind of the same thing. They were maybe on the fence a little bit. They were probably trending towards, towards starting him on, on the main roster, I guess, to start the season. And then the fact that they just had these gaping holes and they had Chisholm fall late and it it just was sort of at the point where they kind of had to do it. It was sort of a no brainer. Um, Everything was kind of trending that way. I, I think I probably lean with you on that one. Hutch, I wanted to ask you about Michael Brantley. Um, we had heard over the winter, I, I think he needed to get some surgery, and uh, the 
projections for when he was going to be able to come back and uh, get back to uh, playing full-time were really all over the map at first. I had heard into June, uh, maybe just missing the first month of the season. Uh, and then, lo and behold, last week he was actually uh, playing in spring training games, and it seemed like he was back. Then uh, we hear that he's got a little bit of a setback, and he's going to start the regular season on the disabled list. Did they rush him back too much, or was this something separate, you think? You know, I don't, I don't think they really rushed him too much. I, I think he basically, after he got the surgery, he had a great rehab. He, I mean, he, from all re- reports indicated, he didn't have any setbacks at all. So that's why he was ahead of schedule. And so, you know, with no reason really to hold him back, when they, when they started him in a, you know, a game a, a little bit ago, you know, and he hit that home run and, you know, I, I just feel like they had to kind of test him a little bit just to see what they had because they really didn't have a reason not to. So, uh, you know, I really wasn't actually that surprised when I learned that he had a setback after, you know, playing that minor league game and then playing the game on the big league level. Uh, you know, I, I just kind of feel like, um, it was bound to happen really. And, but I don't feel like it's a major setback and I don't really think he's going to miss a lot of time. One thing they can do is because he hasn't played, you know, he didn't play in a big league game. They're able and you know, they're able to backdate it, uh, the, the DL stint. So he could, he could maybe miss like a week of the season and be ready to go. So I'm not overly concerned, and I don't think they rushed him. I think they were just – it got to the point where they had to really see how he would perform in a game. He did great, but then, you know, he just had a setback, and that's what happens when you're coming back from major shoulder surgery. You know, fortunately, it's not his left arm, which would be his throwing arm, but uh, when you're a left-handed hitter, your right shoulder is is pretty critical. So – you know, it's just it's it's unfortunate that he had that setback, but you know, like I said, I'm really not too surprised that he did. But at the same time, I'm not I'm not overly concerned that it's going to be an injury that's going to keep him out for a month or two here. I just feel like he should be back, basically within his original timetable, like the the middle of April, the end of or or the beginning of May, I, I kind of think that's like the worst case scenario here. And that's what we thought, you know, going into the spring training. So, you know, the fact that he was even able to play a game or so in, in spring training was pretty encouraging. I thought. I think this, yeah, I think the same thing. I think we were kind of, uh, most people were probably expecting that he'd be out for a majority of April. Um, if not, uh, if not the entire month and coming back some point in May. So I think just the idea that was getting floated around that he'd be ready for opening day was, was getting people excited. Um, but I think, I don't really think there's any reason to rush him back, especially uh, when it's slated to be about 35 degrees in Cleveland on opening day. Um, I think that's probably a little underrated with something like that is that um, – if it, I feel like cold weather just oh, is is never a good situation for a guy that you're already on the fence about bringing him back, especially for a season that obviously is as long as baseball. Um, but we've seen also at the same time 
the Indians have been notorious for coming out slow the last few years. So um, I think that was sort of what excited people was, hey, maybe we will have everyone healthy and we'll be good to go. But if he's out an extra week or something, who really cares? Yeah, I would. Yeah. I would, go ahead, Hutch. I was going to say, I mean, you know, the slow start thing really has kind of been concerning as a fan. You know, they they dug themselves in holes in the past couple of years, you know, in April and May. Then they have a good, you know, June and July, and then they try to crank it up in August and September. You know, they've fallen short the past two seasons. So I think there was some focus this 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 year on getting off to a good start, not falling too far behind. Not necessarily winning the division in April, but not losing it in April, which was more of, you know, I think that's the key here. So I think there was some some thinking, hey, you know, if if he could play to start the season, that's really going to help, you know, the, the effort for the tribe in, in April, having your best player on the field. So, you know, but again, I just think, you know, he's still doing pretty well and he you know he's about what people were expecting so again i'm not too concerned about it i was going to save this question for later but um just given that we've kind of dipped our toe in the water here talking about slow starts and uh, the difficult proposition it's uh, created for the indians in the past few years um in the standings uh central division this year in the american league looks really tough from top to bottom, because uh, even like the Tigers, who finished in last place last year, which was kind of surprising the way they fell apart, uh, they've retooled quite a bit. I know the White Sox have thrown a lot of money at their roster. Twins were certainly uh, moving up, and then you know the Royals uh, won the World Series last year. Um, Hutch, I'll ask you, where do you see the Indians um, fitting in? And um, is a division title? Um, a reasonable goal with the roster that we've got uh, as presently constructed? You know, I really do think it is a reasonable goal. And I, I like the moves that they've made here in the off season, you know, that with, with the addition of Napoli Davis uh, and now bird, I, I, I think they've, they've, you know, Uribe as well. I think they've really addressed the major things that they needed to address. Yes. And, I think they can be a contender. You know, I've actually, um, my prediction is that the Indians will finish uh, in the first wild card spot and Kansas City will probably win the division. That's that's my prediction. Uh, I just don't see how anybody's going to really knock off the Royals. But, you know, the, the division's going to be very competitive, as you said. And, you know, you might even get the second wild card coming out of the Central Division, too. Um, you know, Detroit's going to be right there. You would think, I mean, they, you know, they picked up, uh, Zimmerman, uh, to help replace David Price who left uh, and, uh, you know, be a trade last year. Uh, the Tigers are, are in, they, they want to win. They're not waiting for next year. They're going to do everything they can as long as they're still in contention to try to win. And, and, you know, the other teams, the White Sox, they've, they've made some good moves too. Um, you know, and I mean, they have Chris Sale who could be, you know, he, he's one of the top pitchers in the American league. He's, he's going to be a contender for the Cy Young, I think, you know, and the twins, they, um, they added, uh, that, uh, that guy from, uh, Korea, I think I forget what his name is. Um, but he's a power hitter. 
And, you know, so, you know, I, I think it's all the teams are going to be pretty competitive, I think. But I think the Indians, with their pitching, I mean, the top three, they got Kluber, Carrasco, and Danny Salazar. I mean, that rotation is as tough as any in the major leagues. And, you know, you win with pitching. And if if these guys stay healthy and they, you know, each of them could bust off 15 wins or so and, you know, just pitch like they're capable of and how they did last year, um, I mean, the, the Indians are going to be right there. I think their offense is better. Their defense will be much improved this year. They'll have a full season of Francisco Lindor. We'll have Napoli at first. Hopefully Chisinau, he's, you know, with his switch to right field, he's healthy and he's he was one of the be- game's best right fielders in, in 2015. So I like what they've done. I like how, you know, they didn't overspend and overpay to get some overpriced free agent. Uh, I think they've made the moves that they need on smaller levels to put them right there in the mix. And hopefully they'll, you know, the pitching and health, I mean, there's a lot of things they have to fall in place, but if it does, I mean, the Indians could be one of the best teams in the American League. Yeah, do you think I, – I I think the hype has, has been, and rightfully so, on the rotation, especially those top three guys that you mentioned. Um, I'll fully admit I'm not quite as bullish on um, Salazar as a lot of people seem to be. It's, it seems to be a lot of he's got good stuff, and if he can put it together – they'll uh, you know he can he can be that that top level starter and i'm not sure i don't know i feel like we've been saying that for like two and a half three years now and i don't know if he has that consistency in him i would love to see it and i want to think that that's a huge strength but i'll be honest i'm not totally sold on salazar um as as this this stud that people make him out to be um i know his numbers might might indicate otherwise which baseball obviously is very metric based so it could just be my eye test and I, I don't purport <laughs> I don't purport to be uh, a big major major league pitching scout or anything but um, I'll be honest I don't I don't see a way that they score the runs we've been saying that for the last two years now um, that the offense is maybe a guy or two away from being uh, from being being really strong and, and being able to keep him in it. But even last year, we saw it way too many times where uh, a pitcher would go out and have a hell of an outing and he'd get one run of support or, or no runs and still take a loss for it. And I don't I don't know that they're going to be uh, improved enough in that area to to sort of eliminate those those letdown games. I see your point about the offense being a concern. I mean, that's that's really the concern for the team. But, but you know, here, another thing, too, that, that maybe is being overlooked a little bit by, you know, when you kind of just in generally look at the Indians, their bench is going to be a lot better this year because Jose Ramirez is, first of all, he's their super utility guy. I think he's going to be a major improvement over um, Mike Avilas. I, here's a guy he can – He's got speed. He can play third, all the outfield positions, short, second place. He can come in. You know, he can be a defensive replacement late in the game. He can be a pinch runner. You know, you can pinch hit in certain situations, and then you can throw this guy to play in the field wherever. 
gone are the guys like Michael Bourne, Nick Swisher, and Jason Giambi, who are just dead weight on your team. Rest in peace, bro, Ohio. Hey, yeah. man, I don't know. Swisher's, Swisher's back out there. I say they go pick him back up. <laughs> but, you know, those guys are gone. I mean, so all 25 man, men on the team are going to be used. And, you know, I think that's kind of an underrated thing that's going to help their offense. I mean, so, you know, I, I don't see them as an offensive juggernaut, but I don't think they're going to be quite as bad as they have been offensively. I, I think the the moves that they've made, I think, will will help at least, if not only marginally, but it, it will help. I I don't see a lot of, like, two-to-one games or three-to-two games, like that sort of thing. I see more of, like, you know, the five-to-four game or, you know, the four-to-three game, which doesn't sound much different. But, you know, I I just think if, if they can stay healthy this year, I, I think they're going to do enough with the pitching they have. I mean, their bullpen is, is still, you know, I Cody Allen, he's a stud closer in my book. And, and then you have Brian Shaw, one of the best setup guys. Um, you even got some new guys too. If I can, if I can go there, um, I mean, you got Jabba Chamberlain, you know, who knows what that guy is going to be. He's a non roster invite that made the team. But, uh, you know, so I, I, I think, I think, they're poised to have a good year if things fall the way I, I think they will. Okay. Uh, just you, you had mentioned the, the roster construction and some of the options they're going to have in terms of being able to pinch hit guys and, and bring some people off the bench. Uh, one of the things that kind of jumped out at me today was the fact that they've got uh, 13 pitchers. It looks like they're going to be carrying into the regular season including six guys who could start. And uh, the news that came down today was that uh, the rotation we're looking at is going to be uh, Kluber, Carrasco, Salazar, uh, Cody Anderson, and then Josh Tomlin, which puts Trevor Bauer in the bullpen. Um, and I guess I was a little surprised, and a lot of other people seemed like they were surprised that uh, the Indians would be carrying 13 pitchers especially at this point in the season when they've got a lot of off days in the first month they don't necessarily need to have uh, a spot starter were you surprised that uh that bauer i, I guess two-part question is it were you surprised that trevor Bauer's not going to be in the starting rotation uh to begin the year and are you surprised with uh, a 13-man pitching staff to start the year you know i'm actually shocked that Trevor Bauer isn't going to be a starter. I, I, you know, all all off season, all spring training, he's penciled in as the number four guy. So, moving him out of the rotation, to me, I, I'm just like, wow, I couldn't believe the news when I heard it. But um, I mean, he didn't have a bad spring either, and that's that's the other thing. Um, you know, his control was better, his velocity is up, uh, reportedly. So, you know. I, I was just like, wow. I, and, and plus, you know, Cody Anderson, he's got an option. He could be down in AAA. You know, maybe why not start him down in Columbus to start the season? And you don't have to carry that extra pitcher. But, you know, on the other hand, um, Anderson, he's he's earned the right to be in the rotation. And, you know, I don't think it's, you know, like 
a case where Bauer is just clearly better than Anderson. I think they're, you know, I think they're probably pretty comparable. And but I think the Indians might have a little more confidence in in Anderson after you know the way he finished up 2015, and then he came into camp. He was in great shape. He won their endurance test at the beginning of the year. So I mean, he he kind of earned the job too. And I think they feel like Josh Chomlin is a guy that, um, you know, he can bounce around and he can be that fifth starter in April where he can be in long relief. He can start if he needs to. He's very flexible with it. And I think, I just really think they didn't want to put Bauer in that position. I think they wanted to say, hey, you're either going to be like our fourth starter or you're going to be in the bullpen. So, um, you know, so that. And Bauer, you couldn't option without losing him because he didn't have any left. And so I think, you know, w- with those six starters, um, you know, and like you said, it, it makes the pitching staff 13 in total. I kind of think that's a lot uh, for April when you have four off days in the first month of the season. It's not even a full month, really. But, um, you know, again, that's where you have a guy like Jose Ramirez on your bench who can just, he's probably going to play four or five, six days a week in some capacity. He's not going to be just sitting there on the bench, you know, with one pinch hit or one, you know, a couple innings of defensive replacement. That guy's going to get a lot of at bats. He's going to get a lot of time. Um, you'll probably see, like, um, you know, Perez, the backup catcher. Roberto Perez, he'll probably play a little bit more to give Gomes some break. Maybe you'll see Gomes as a DH a lot. Um, they're only carrying four outfielders, you know, Colin Cowgill. He's versatile. He's not a great hitter by any means, but he can play right, left, and center. So, you know, they kind of have, with Ramirez, they sort of have five outfielders. And so, you know, if you look at the flexibility of all these guys in their lineup, you know, you got Santana, he's going to be your DH, but he can also play first. Um, you've got backups at every position that are pretty solid. And so it, I guess if you're just kind of looking at it in terms of the numbers and, and how everything fits together, I understand why they, they're carrying 13 pitchers. Um, I don't necessarily agree with it, but, you know, I, I think that's why those guys get paid the big bucks to make those decisions and hopefully – you know, it, this will all change too because you're going to have, um, you know, Chisholm Hall and you're going to have uh, Brantley coming off the DL at some point soon. So, you know, you might see, you know, if, if Anderson struggles, he might get option down to Columbus. Um, you know, so I, I think it's all flexible in April. And, you know, I, I think the first week of the season, you know, after that, you're just going to see – you might see a different makeup of the team. You might see a pitcher, you know, get cut from the team or, you know, demoted down to AAA. And you might see a position player like maybe a Joey Butler get promoted because, um, you know, he got option down to AAA and he's an outfielder. So I don't see this set in stone for really that long. And honestly, I don't see Bauer being in the bullpen forever either. I think maybe he's there for the first month, but – after that, I mean, who knows? He might make 15 starts this year because you, you never have enough pitching. And, you know, last year, the Indians, I believe they had 11 starting pitchers at, throughout the whole year. So he's going to start, but he's just starting the year in the bullpen. So, but it's still pretty shocking, I think. I think the biggest concern I have with it is 
is more to Bauer's psyche. He's kind of proven to be that guy that, I don't know, he's not the most, um, I don't even really know how to describe it, but he's been at times a bit of a head case. Um, And and I worry that that this move could, you know, potentially just kind of get in his head and make him less confident um, and sort of rattle him as a starter. So I hope that's not the case. But I think overall that's my biggest concern is that this he seemed like he was pretty much a lock for the rotation um and i'm sure he probably thought so himself so moving him out of that role i think could could maybe rattle him a little bit and and do more harm than good yeah i agree with that for sure that's the concern that i have how is he going to take this news i mean i haven't heard him interviewed or anything yet so i'm wondering if he's upset i'm wondering if he's what he's thinking about this uh you know you just hope like he just puts his head down, goes to work in the bullpen, gets guys out, and then when his time comes, he'll perform like he should. Yeah, he's. I mean, he's he's always sort of had that reputation of being sort of on a, a different wavelength than most guys. So hopefully, yeah, he's just, you know, business as usual, and he just goes out and does what they ask him to do. But uh, I guess time will tell on that one. We'll have to wait and see. I have an alternate theory here, um, and I don't think I'm – breaking any uh, crazy new ground with this, but do you think there's a possibility that the roster was set up this way uh, for the moment with uh, the possibility of a trade in mind before the season starts on Monday? For what? Dealing one of the starters? Another bat, yeah. Dealing one of the starters to to bring in another bat. I I feel like the running theme, and especially it it seemed like back in November and – the, the the winter meetings and the, the hot stove talk, um, to use a good old-fashioned uh, baseball term there, um, was that, well, the Indians have got a, a surplus in pitching and other teams have uh, uh, surpluses in outfielders. And I know there was like a lot of talk with maybe uh, the Cubs would be a dance partner for them. Um, I think a couple other teams have been mentioned. And that kind of stuff still hasn't totally changed. I know the Indians have brought in a lot of new faces and it is, uh, Hutchins said earlier, the outfield, especially to start the year, is going to look very different from last year. But I, I don't think, uh, outside of Brantley, I don't think anybody is uh, completely set in stone out there. And if they've got a chance to bring in an everyday major leaguer um, who's a, 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 an above average talent um, for the in exchange for one of those starters, um, I don't know, something to think about. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I, I, personally, I hope not. I, I I think you just kind of – I'm not sure I've ever heard anyone refer to a surplus of starting pitching. Uh, I think that's kind of an oxymoron in baseball. Um, personally, I think they should ride with at least the top three guys. I don't think they should be touched. I know that might sound surprising coming from me, considering what I just said about Salazar a minute ago. But um, I think they need to stick with those three guys. If they want to move one of the other pitchers, I guess okay. But I don't know how much value you'll get for any of those guys. Um, but I think really if, if the Indians are going to lean on that pitching, they kind of need to stick with that um, and maybe see what they got first. I wouldn't want to see them move something um, and sort of change how they're going to approach the season to one or two days before the season actually starts. Bauer was the guy that I thought could be moved. Um, yeah. Okay. Okay. I'm not there sure. Had, well, 
there have been some talk about with the with the Red Sox. Uh, you know, they they could use a pitcher, and there were some names floating around like Mookie Betts or Jackie Bradley. Um, you know, who could be available on a trade, and you know, so that that kind of was going on about a week or two before spring training. You know, before now, and uh, it kind of died down. So you, maybe. I don't know. Maybe that's something that you know was left unresolved, and you know if they just really feel like they need to get rid of somebody like maybe Bauer. Maybe they could they could make that deal. I mean, they have a guy like Mike Clevenger, who's one of their you know prospects who had a great start to camp, and then you know was optioned down to AAA, and he could be a guy. You know, I, I think we'll see him at some point this year. They have the they have the arms to deal. Um, but you know, like with the price of pitching, do you really want to trade those guys for an, an average type outfielder? That's, that's probably what's holding up any trade, but I think there could, what you said, Tom, I think it, it could happen. I mean, I, I wouldn't be totally surprised if it did. I, I don't necessarily want it to happen, but it's certainly the option is definitely there, especially now that they're going to carry these six guys like in their starting, you know, on, on the major league roster for now. So, okay. Um, before we get out of here, I do want to, um, and I know Travis wanted to get into uh, predictions um, for the season. Before we do that, though, Hutch, was there anything else um, in regards to uh, the tribe and uh, the twenty-five man and uh, roster here, and anything else that we might not have touched on so far that you wanted to get in? Well, I, I just, I guess kind of to wrap up, um, you know, I think probably my biggest surprise this spring training, if I, if I could go there, would be, I, I was just really shocked by how Tyler Naquin just really emerged this spring. He was kind of an afterthought to me. I, I was kind of thinking his, his star had started to burn out, basically, you know, comes in as you know, when he was drafted, he was considered like the best pure hitter in the draft, but we hadn't really seen the guy healthy or, you know, or really productive. And, you know, so when he just, you know, like I said earlier, he just took the bull by the horns and just really kicked some butt this spring. I mean, to me, that was the biggest surprise. And then he's going to be, you know, he, he's actually the first Indians rookie to break cramp and be a starter since CC Sabathia. Think of how long ago that was. Oh, really? 15. Yes. So every <sighs> other rookie, and he's he's a starter. So it's been 15 years since a guy like like this has, you know, I mean that's to me that's like shocking. I can't believe it because they always you know they hold the guy back for service time or whatever the case is. But here the guy is. He had a great spring and now he's going to be the, the starting center fielder for the Cleveland Indians as a rookie. You just, I mean, you haven't seen that. And, and I heard something too. I can't remember who it was, but prior to Sabathia, the last time a position player had done that was in the late 1980s. So, I mean, what he's done is, is actually kind of remarkable in Cleveland in the ancestry. If I'm accurate with my, uh, with my facts there. So, all right. Well, here's hoping that uh, he can carry that momentum into the season. Cause I got to tell you just for me personally, I, I loved what Lindor did uh, coming up in the middle of the season last year. And, and to me, he was the most exciting uh, everyday position player 
that the Indians had added into their lineup that I had seen in a really long time. And it was just the kind of guy that uh, got me excited to watch uh, games again. And I want to see more guys like that. And uh, Naquin sounds like um, just by what he's been able to accomplish here, by what you just outlined, certainly uh, a lot of potential. And I think that's awesome. Yeah. And, and, you know, we really didn't get into Lindor very much, but you know, that guy, he, he is, he's exciting. He, like, he's already my 10 year old son's like favorite player in the team. You know, he's just youthful. He's got energy. He came out of the, you know, he just, he was great in the second half last year. Could have been, should have been the rookie of the year. Uh, boy, he just brings this energy level and excitement with his play to the team. And he's got a great personality and just seems like he's already a veteran leader and hasn't even played a full season in the, in the majors. And who knows what that guy could be. Hopefully he's a, the Indians like all-star shortstop for the next 10 years. That would be, that would be great. Just, I like that guy a lot. Yeah, I agree with that. I think what we saw from him at the end last year was, I think, People had high expectations for him. They've been calling for him for a year and a half, wondering what was taking so long to call him up. And I think he even exceeded those expectations. And personally, it's sort of interesting. When I think back to last year, um, the one like the one moment or play that really like sticks out to me is – I don't know if anyone else remembers this, but he had this, this incredible steal on second base that just – I don't. I don't even remember the context or what it was, but I remember watching the game. I was watching it at a bar, and he stole second and like wrapped around this guy, and the throw was right on the money, and he avoided the tag and slid in and jumped up and was super excited and had all this energy, and it was just like this kid's going to be really good, and he really likes playing baseball, which I think is usually, I, I don't know, I don't, I don't know that you see that enough. I feel like you don't. A lot of guys are kind of buttoned up. Um, so seeing him go out there and just kind of lay it all on the line and, and, and hop up real excited, having a great time and getting everybody else pumped up, even as you said, as, as the rookie on the team, who's not necessarily, uh, expected to be a leader right out of the bat. It, it was sort of that, that moment where it was like, this kid's going to be really fun to watch for a long time. Yeah. And I, I think the Indians have got a lot of guys that are really solid, really good ball players, but. Um, just to use that phrase that uh, that you use there, Travis, uh, buttoned up. You think about a guy like a Michael Brantley or a, a Corey Kluber, who are both uh, really, I mean, they're all-star talents and they're great. And they're, by all accounts, they're good locker room guys. Um, and I absolutely want them on my team. But you don't get that um, that electricity uh, out of them. And, and that's okay. I don't think you're necessarily going to have that from 25 guys in your clubhouse, but uh, getting an infusion of that um, uh, from one of your uh, prospects, especially uh, somebody that's got all those expectations, um, it was fantastic. And, and again, that's somebody uh, hopefully uh, can carry that over again into 2016. And it's nice to see it from a guy who's actually producing on the field as opposed to uh... – a certain bro Ohio who shows up super excited every day and then is batting about 200, oh. which I mean, it's hard to knock a guy for having energy and being excited and, you know, trying to like get guys pumped up. But I guarantee every guy in that locker room was sick of hearing it from him. <laughs> like it rings hollow when you're not even close to carrying your weight. It's nice. He to was, see- a- 
I was going to say, he was just exhausting listening to on post-game interviews on oh TV. Yeah, <laughs> It was just he like, broke, oh, you know, I'm excited. I'm, loving, I'm excited OHIO. Like, oh, my God, dude. And I, I love Ohio State. And the fact that he came in, like, pumped about Ohio and everything, it should have, in, in theory, it was very cool. But it wore so quick. It was like, Jesus, man. It, it just seems so contrived and forced at this point. And, and you're not playing well at all. Like nothing you're providing right now is valuable. I know. I just I wanted him to be good so bad. Oh, so I, I was such a fan of his, and you know when he got when he came to the Indians and he was just awful. Like it's like come on, just give me something. And nope, ground in the double play or strikeout or whatever. Oh. It was just like ah. <laughs> well, given those experiences, I do not think. Um, Anybody should be holding their breath that we're going to be getting a return engagement, even though uh, old Swish there is uh, once again on the free agent market. But uh, quickly here, uh, as we wrap up, Hutch, I think you said that uh, you think the Indians are going to uh, nail down a wild card this year. Uh, do you want to go on the record and, and declare that uh, officially what, uh, what you're predicting for the Tribe this year? That's what I'm predicting for the Tribe this year. Any uh, Any feelings on a postseason then um where, where that could take them well i think they could you know if they get the number one wild card they would have there would be a game in cleveland against whatever opponent um i think this could be the year where they actually win that wild card game if they got there you know i, I just feel like it, time it's it's time to to go to the next level and you know, if they, if they get past that wild card game, then you know, really, the sky's the limit. Uh, the pressure would be off from that one game. You know, then their depth with their pitching. I mean, you'd have Kluber, Carrasco, and Salazar. I mean, that's a formidable rotation in the playoffs, and that's what the playoffs are about: is pitching and defense and timely hitting. And they've at least got pitching and good defense now. So, you know, I. I'm not going to say they're going to win the World Series, but uh, it could be right in the thick of things. I'll go that far. Trev, your prediction. Go. 89 wins, first wild card. And I'm with Hutch. I think they win that first wild card. And like we keep saying, I I think once you get to the playoffs, if you have the pitching, you got a pretty damn good chance. So I'm not going to make any prediction past that, but I think they are right up against that 90 wins. I think they go back to, they look a lot like the team in 2013 did. Hopefully they start off well and they're consistent throughout the season instead of starting off digging that huge hole. Um, But I think probably second in the division. And I think they snagged that first wild card. All right. I'm, I'm putting it out here right now. Uh, I like what they've done with the team. Uh, I think they have made some significant upgrades, um, even if they are not necessarily um, the biggest blockbuster names. And uh, I, I I got a really good feeling about the season. I am predicting that they win the Central Division. Um, wow. Yeah. I like it. I, I, I like I, it. I like them to win 90 games and win the Central Division. Uh, I think the Royals are great, but the Royals have been in the World Series the last two years. At some point, I think that catches up with you. And um, I uh, I just got a good feeling about the Indians. Um, that said, uh, 
if I had to make a postseason prediction, I would say lose the LCS. So winning the division series, losing the uh, league championship series. You know, I would All actually, right. I would actually take that. You know, that I would be happy if that's if that was the case. It'd be a great year. It'd be fun. Yeah, oh, absolutely. I think I think um, it's playoff baseball. It's so much fun when you have a team in it that it's hard to really be like even a couple of years ago when they lost that one the, I don't know that they called it a play-in game but we all know it was a play-in game when they lost that game that one game was and the last like month of the season were so much fun that it's hard to even look back on that year as a disappointment so yeah I'm with you if they can get in and they can if they can even make a playoff series I, I'll look I'll look on it as a you know a building block and a pretty good season overall Playoff baseball is the best, and just the the drama and the intensity that ramps up. It, it just be, having a team in a pennant race down the final uh, six weeks of the season or so. It's it's really like nothing else, and I'm just really hoping that we get that again this year. And uh, I think we got the pieces to do it. So we'll see what happens. Uh, kicks off on Monday uh, late afternoon downtown. Uh, I think we got the Red Sox here to open up the year, so it uh, should be a fun season. Um, yeah, and I think that's a good place to wrap up uh, part one here of our Indians preview. Hutch, this was a lot of fun. Thanks for joining us, man. Yeah, appreciate it. And um, if I can just plug my uh, my the blog I write for, it's burningriverbaseball.com, and you can follow me on Twitter at John Arthur Hutch. It's like you're reading my notes here. I was I was going to get the plug in <laughs> for you, but uh, you're doing my work for me. So uh, thank you, and uh, thanks for joining us again. And uh, everybody out there, as for our show, uh, of course, you can always catch our episodes at thenailpodcast.com. iPhone users, you can subscribe to our show uh, in the podcast app. Just search for The Nail in the Coffin. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter at The Nail Podcast. And new this week, I just set this up this afternoon, uh, we have finally created a Facebook page for the show. Uh, it seems to be where the majority of our audience is, um, Facebook. So uh, as the old saying goes, you got to give the people what they want. Uh, That's so, right. Yeah, if, uh, we, we had a nice uh, uh, initial following here today. Um, if you've not done that yet, we'll be posting all our new episodes there. Maybe throw some other uh, random fun stuff up. Uh, Facebook.com slash The Nail Podcast. And on that note, we're out. So check back uh, Thursday, Friday, uh, probably Friday morning. Travis and I will be back for part two of our Indians preview, and we will talk to you then. Hey there, and welcome to the Joy of Paddle podcast, hosted by me, Minter Dial a veteran of the paddle tennis world, and sponsored by Paddle 1969. Whether you're a paddle tennis aficionado, just beginning or have never even heard of paddle, or padel as it's called in North America, this is an exhilarating new show that delves into the captivating stories of notable paddle personalities worldwide. In its inaugural season, you'll be treated to exclusive anecdotes, valuable tips, life lessons, and humorous moments shared by esteemed professional paddle players, industry insiders, and passionate paddle enthusiasts. With each season aligning with a pro tour, you can anticipate two engaging episodes per month. 
The Joy of Paddle Podcast is part of the Evergreen Podcast Network, where you can find other great shows in a number of categories, such as sports, health and wellness, true crime, and fiction. To find out more about Evergreen Podcasts, go to www.evergreenpodcast.com. Vamos! Vamos!